complete. A statue of him was erected in his honor in Junnan County, Shandong. And a massive exhibit was named after him in 2006 in Beijing's National Museum of China. Sidney Rittenberg, Charleston, South Carolina Jew, descendant of slave owners, first American to join the CCP, close advisor to Mao, Judah, Zhou Enlai, and other high up CCP leaders. Trusted translator of the Chinese Communist Revolution, married into the Chinese family of Wang Yulin, Cultural Revolution supporter played a key role in transmitting Chinese communist propaganda for Xinhua and Radio Peking. Ascended to the, here's another leadership position, Sidney Rittenberg, ascended to the head of broadcast administration, as in propaganda production, and an unprecedented move that nobody ever thought could be held by a foreigner. But in communist China, of course, they weren't foreigners, but comrades. Uh, oh, seriously? Apparently returned to the United States in 1980 to found Rittenberg and Associates, a company which became a vital go-between for American corporations in China. Seriously? And yes, I will absolutely open the chest. Don't worry. Sidney Shapiro, a.k.a. Shah Boli, New York Ashkenazi, member of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Council, head of Communist China's propaganda apparatus. What the heck? Top translator, writer, and publisher of works on China, as well as an actor in Chinese films focused on American villainy. Oh, lovely. Conducted extensive research into Jews in China and got the works translated into Hebrew and published in The Entity in December of 2014. The China, the China International Publishing Group announced it was establishing a Sydney Shapiro Research Center in his honor to investigate model criteria for translation between Chinese and English. What? Here's the, the one that was mentioned before, Israel Epstein, Polish Jew, anti-Japanese spy. Oh, that was Mao's Handler. Yeah, Mao's Handler, yep. Um, his father was a Bolshevik agitator, of course, member of the NKVD's China division, of course, Mao's minister of finance. Here's another that led a big leadership position. Mao's minister of finance and appropriations. Honored by Mao, Zhou Enlai, Deng Xiaoping, Jiang Zemin, and Hu Jintao. Member of the CCP and editor of China Reconstructs slash China Today. His wife was a top contributor to one of the most widely used Chinese-English dictionaries published in China. Frank Ko from Richmond, Virginia. You may have even heard that name before. Treasury Department official from 1934 to 1939, who worked with the Silver Master spy ring that featured Harry Dexter White as the head of Operation Snow, the precursor to Pearl Harbor. Lovely. Friend and co-conspirator of Solomon Adler and a key player in Mao's great leap forward. Robert Lawrence Kuhn, Jewish investment banker, Kissingerite, an international corporate strategist with an expertise in China. He's been advising the CCP on economic policy, science, technology, media, culture, US-China relations, and international communications for over 20 years. Wow. 
Mikhail Borodin, aka Mikhail Grusenberg, Jew from Vitebsk, Belarus, uh, top lieutenant of Lenin after the Bolshevik takeover. He engaged in spying activities, uh, led a group of Soviet advisors in Guangzhou, arranged shipments of Soviet arms for the Chinese. David Crook, staunchly anti-Russian Jewish supremacist from the UK. That's wonderful. Fought with many other Jews in the International Brigade during the Spanish Civil War, got recruited by the NKVD as a result of his actions in Spain and was sent to China, where he also doubled as a British intelligence agent, working with communists against the Japanese. Adolf Abramovich Joffe, Turkic Jew from Crimea, very wealthy family, ally and supporter of Lenin, Richard Frey, AKA Richard Stein, Jew from Vienna, Austria, arrived in China in 1939, joined in operations against the Japanese, member of the CCP, Shafik George Hatem and Mahaid, or AKA Mahaid, Syrian Lebanese Jew, often mistaken as a Maronite, Tra first traveled to China, Shanghai with Jewish colleagues, and communist agents, Lazar Katz and Robert Levinson, to uh, traveled to the communist HQ in Bao'an to directly assist Mao's troops and personally examine Mao to dispel rumors of Mao's impending death. Became a public health official in China after the communist victory in 1949. How many of these people were in leadership positions? This is insane. Hans Schippe. AKA Morzek Gridsp, Jew from Krakow, Poland, German Communist Party member, Soviet journal, joined Chinese communists in Guangzhou as a translator and interviewer, spreading interviews with the top CCP leaders, including Mao. Ruth Weiss, Jew from Vienna, said to be the last surviving European witness of the Chinese communist takeover of China, top educator at the Jewish school in Shanghai, did propaganda work for the publishing house for foreign literature. There's another leadership. Revi Ali, um, there, I don't think there's any proof that he's actually Jewish. Uh, they call me so-called crypto Jew, which they call anybody they don't like a crypto Jew. You can't always really believe any of that. Um, so I don't, I don't include him, but he is kind of creepy and he did spend, a, he's from New Zealand originally. Um, and he adopted lots of young Chinese boys or, or at least, I think at least one and, and did a lot of work with uh, impoverished young Chinese boys. Uh, he was often accused of being a pedophile, although those that knew him said he was not and was interest, not interested in boys. Um, Bet Betty Chandler, from Mani Jew from Manitoba, Canada, close to Israel Epstein and Sidney Shapiro, CPPCC member. Hans Miller, German Jew, Gunther Stein, German Jew. Could go on and on and on. I think we're only halfway through the list here. Um, well, you're 10 minutes over. Yeah, and we're we're already five minutes. Five <laughs> minutes over. So, all right. Seven. All right. Seven minutes are you, well, are you ready? You good? <laughs> yes. All right. She's good. I'm out of here. Um, this is weird. It's weird. It is weird. And they're all, it seems, secular quote unquote, um, 
non-practicing, one might say. I, I don't know if that's as a rule necessarily, but it's 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 really odd. All right, I'm out. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, so um, let's see. <laughs> you can't be making farm noises right now. Okay, so um, let me bring up the show prep. Actually, before I go into the show prep. Um, oh, and I'm opening the chest now. Oh, he's going to open the chest now. I want to um, just show everybody something real quick, just as a reminder here. And because I have, um, I've updated uh, this show page to reflect the newest information. What is that? Huh? Oh, we're going to do the all money. Don't worry. The what? Okay, yeah, we're gonna do that in a minute. It's in my show prep, sweetheart. Okay. <laughs> Don't steal my drink. Miss thing. <laughs> she wants you guys to hear her song. <laughs> That's in the show prep. We're gonna get to that in a minute. I just wanted to show everybody something here. So this is the main PSB website. If you hit the menu button, this pops out and you have the show calendar. This has the different show dates and times. This is our different categories of publication here. We have a new article up by Spirit Warrior um, that was just published today. And so if you go to shows, this brings you to the show pages, all the different show pages there are. Uh, and so um, if you go to the Digging Deeper show page, this is now updated. Uh, I have removed the, um, the PayPal link and I just put in the PO box here for now. Uh, we have to, I'm still working on doing the subscribe star thing. We're gonna get that set up eventually. And of course my book link here, um, for those who are maybe haven't heard of it or didn't remember to download it, it is here. You can check that out. So I just wanted to remind everybody of that since I made that change today. Um, okay, so now we'll go into the show prep. I have a lot of things to cover today. <laughs> oh, you scared the kitty with your farm sounds. Okay, she needs help putting those books back up on that shelf. Okay, where are you going? <laughs> She's mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny when you have a young one a little one and they act just like you when you were a kid, <laughs> you were a kid. oh <laughs> I don't still do that I don't make that face and like pout when I'm angry and stomp well I do do that actually still <laughs> when she's upset she does this thing where she like turns her head to the side and she won't look at you <laughs> and then she kind of stomps her foot <laughs> oh, that's so cute oh my word that's funny your kids are just like you and she looks so much like me now I think too it's like looking at a little version of myself that I argue with and have to tell no you still have to do your chores <laughs> and then she'll try to negotiate her way out of this <laughs> uh, that's funny okay so um tonight's show is called treason and treachery and uh we have here um 
Jonathan uh, Pollard. Now, this is important because um, I have covered this uh, Pollard before, like several times. And, um, you know, this was something that is important to me. This was one of the worst spies in U.S. history that compromised our nuclear technology and our national security. Yeah, she is my mini-me. <laughs> she's getting so tall, too. Um, she's going to be taller than me one day. I can't believe it. So... Um, this uh, gentleman here, Pollard, Jonathan Pollard, he was a U.S. Navy intelligence that compromised our uh, nuclear technology, nuclear secrets, and he did it for cash. He likes to pretend he's such a good Jew that he did this for the state of Israel to, to protect them because he just loved them so much. That is a lie. He was selling this stuff to Pakistan Pakistani ISI, he did it for money. That's who he is. He has no loyalty to anything or anyone, but whoever's paying him the most cash. So that's what he is. I mean, this is a lowest of the low, somebody who destroyed our national security, who penetrated our uh, nuclear labs, and then sold that to Russia Pakistan, China, and Israel. And he was doing it to the, for the highest bidder. If he cared so much about Israel, why did he give it to Pakistan and China? And there used to be capital punishment for that kind of treason. But no, he's, you know, let out of prison under Barack Obama, put on house arrest, and just recently his parole lapsed. And Bill Barr, on his way out, his little act of uh, treason on his way out was to allow this man's parole to lapse so he could freely leave the country, a traitor one of the worst spies in U.S. history. The Rosenbergs were executed for their treason and treachery, but now we reward them with allowing them to go home to the place that they uh, were spying for, where they get welcomed as a hero and given a fancy apartment He's now getting a salary from the state of Israel for the rest of his life. He's being celebrated. He's being rewarded. And we're going to give Israel billions of dollars in foreign aid? And that this is a spy? And we just allowed him to abscond back to the place he was spying for, compromised our nuclear security for, and then gave it and sold it to all the other highest bidders. And they welcome him as a hero? Oh, good job destroying America's national security and stealing their nuclear secrets. <laughs> We're such great friends. Well, I can't help but see the parallels between this uh 
that that faction and the China and China and the, the CCP faction, it's it's the next group that's basically this infiltration. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so I'm livid about this. That Bill Barr's Justice Department allowed this, and you know, he did this on his way out the door. Um, he could have uh, for anyone who thinks I don't know how this works, no, I worked in law for 10 years. I know exactly how it works. The Justice Department easily could have intervened and extended his parole time. They chose not to. They could have, but they didn't. So I am so angry, and you all should be too, because this is the reason that our country has been destroyed and all of our technology has been stolen. He gave it to China, Russia, Pakistan, and Israel. And you wonder why, you know, our people are being killed. We wonder why it seems like China knows where we are at every minute. And you wonder why China's Navy is now seven times the size of ours. Hmm. So I'm very angry about this, and we're going to talk about this tonight, why it's important. We're going to look at the way he was greeted. Of course, Sheldon Adelson abetted this criminal aided and abetted him using his private plane to bring him, to fly him to Israel. How disgusting. And Bibi meets him on the tarmac to give him the hero's welcome for compromising America's national security and nuclear uh, capability. Absolutely disgusting. Oh, I see Marianne from Gidligan's Island has died of COVID at 82. Um, I don't know if she had uh, any pre-existing conditions. That's really, um, that's sad to hear. That's disappointing. And we will pray for her family. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. And then I have some other things that I want to cover. I'm not raising my blood pressure. This is called righteous indignation. No, I'm quite calm. I expected this. I've been seeing the signs for a while. I warned people when they took off his stupid tracking bracelet, his ankle bracelet. I knew it was going to happen then, weeks ago. But I'm very angry that this isn't all over the news and what does this what message does it send to other would-be spies, current spies right now? Oh, it's no big deal. We can steal America's technology, their nuclear secrets, we can compromise and endanger their military. And you know, nothing will happen to us. We won't be executed. We don't have to worry about any of the things we used to have to worry about. Because they've infiltrated so much, they've changed the rules. Absolutely ridiculous. And that also, I think, goes to show people just how much they've infiltrated this country. That back in the day of the Rosenbergs, you would have been 
executed for treason for doing something like this. You know, he put all of our men and women in the military in danger. You understand that, right? Then the people serving our country right now are less safe because of this man and they just let him go. What a slap in the face to every American. And really, the message is sent to all the other spies. You don't have anything to worry about. America's a pushover. They won't do anything. <laughs> How stunning. So um, I think it's also uh, interesting that this happened today when we're also at the anniversary of the founding of the Soviet Union. Could it be more obvious, guys? They're just putting it in your face. I mean, they're not, they don't even try to hide this crap. And I often call it Soviet Israel because I think we've covered uh, to a very large extent the Russian penetration of Israel in the 70s and 80s when um, all the Russian GRU assets, thousands of them poured into the country. So that's lovely. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. You guys know what this represents? Well, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last death hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. What's going to surprise You'll find out. <laughs> but we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. America is governed by Americans. Infiltration instead of invasion. On subversion instead of elections. On intimidation instead of free choice. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. For them, it's a war. And for them, nothing at all is out of bounds. Man will be what he was born to be. Free and independent. Well, hopefully that day will come soon <laughs> when we will be free and independent. Um. Oh, my God. I, I just saw this. I got to tell everybody. Um, apparently, they have taken down uh, the, the, the media they, due to copyright. Uh, remember, uh, because of the, the Where's the Beef song that they used for that campaign <laughs> or for that ad. But <laughs> they can't there's For such real? little like prissy little little babies they can't even handle them <laughs> this media has been disabled in response to a report by the copyright owner what a bunch of 
think you were right. They probably just did that themselves. Good lord. Dearman says Iran now has missiles undetectable by Israel. Yeah, thank uh, Biden and Obama for that. They also got pallets of cash um, and an absurd deal that was signed that I think they knew they were never going to hold up to. Why would they? You just gave them pallets of cash. I No, I mean, absolutely absurd. Of course they weren't going to follow that. They gave them no incentive to. And so that their Iran's nuclear program never stopped. Clearly, the JCPOA was always nonsense and an excuse for massive money laundering. I mean, the, the Q post asked, like, where did all that money go? Did it all go to Iran or did some of it were some of those planes diverted? Did they go elsewhere? Where did the pallets of cash go? Was somebody else paid off? We don't know. Um, but that was in what do we what is there to show for that? This is the problem with our country. And this is what I mean by look how penetrated we have been. We're literally for sale to the highest bidder for decades. And it's not even secret. Look what China just did in this damn election with Joe Biden. Look what we learned about his son. And, you know, the, the deals they were doing with 10% going to the big guy, that is commonplace. John Kerry's son was part of it. You know, Kerry's always seen palling around with Zarif from Iran at Chatham House. Disgusting. So this is the problem. It's all about money to these people. You, If you take politics out of it and you think about it from a business and money perspective, it will start to make more sense to you. It's less about politics and party, and it's more about money in scams and slush funds. That's what it's about to these people. It's a small club that we aren't in. I do have a new psalm for everybody. This is a special one that she wanted to do. She picked St. Basil um, to be uh, in the art that we use, the iconography, because St. Basil's feast day comes up um, in just two days on the 1st of January, and also St. Macarius, because she just really likes him. <laughs> Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Amen. Every, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 
forgot that last line there. That was cute. Okay, so um, I want to quickly read something from Jeremiah chapter 7, and then we will get into the news. We have time for this, though, and I find it very important. I also find it edifying, and I hope you do as well. Um, and uh, nobody's imposing this on anybody. I want to make that clear. Um you don't have to agree with me uh, on my personal religious perspective. It's not being imposed on anybody. I share it because I enjoy it. I think it's important. I think it's actually more important. I think if you don't understand and have spiritual discernment, you have no idea what's going on in the world because it's all spiritual warfare. And so in order to understand these things and put them into perspective, I find it important to read um, the Bible because there's so much from the past that we, that is exactly the same thing happening today. You know, there's like that saying, there's nothing new under the sun. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. So Jeremiah chapter seven, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judea that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Amend your ways. So you change them he's saying trust ye not in lying words saying the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord are these for if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor if ye oppress not the stranger the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. He's saying you don't listen to my, um, you're not listening to my words. You're chasing after other gods that end up causing you problems and trouble. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? So he's saying that in these days, that's the kind of thing they were doing, burning incense to Baal committing murder and adultery, fair, um, stealing, swearing falsely, chasing after these pagan gods, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. He's saying that they were doing this stuff in the temple of the Lord, in his name, in his house. They were desecrating his holy place. 
in this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. He's seen that temple become a den of vipers, as Christ said, or a den of robbers. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it. For the wickedness of my people Israel, they were becoming wicked. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Sound familiar? And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not. And I called you, but ye answered not. They didn't listen. He was speaking to them, but they didn't understand. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you, and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. He is angry at them. He is very mad, and he's saying, don't try to intercede for them. Don't even bother praying for them. He was ready to blot them out, their names out of his book of life. And Moses interceded before and said, if you're going to do that, blot my name out as well. And only for Moses did he not do that, because they were doing the same idolatrous, evil things. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. What queen of heaven? And to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. They call it the Shekinah. They call that the queen of heaven. It's, it doesn't exist. That is a false idol. It's idolatry. And he's saying that's what they're doing. They're pouring out drink offerings to other gods. They dare to do that in his temple. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, mine anger in my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast and upon the trees of the field and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. He said he required mercy. He wanted mercy, not sacrifices. They didn't listen. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. 
and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. They went right back into the same idolatry they continued to do when they were in the desert, when Moses had literally just freed them from slavery in Egypt. And they're so ungrateful that they go right back into this idolatry and it makes God angry because they did not hold up their end of the covenant. This is why when Christ comes, he makes a new covenant with a new people that will follow his words. And they rejected Christ. They rejected God, their own God. They constantly rejected him. This is a continuous thing. When you read what they were doing, they were constantly rebelling against his commandments. They were constantly, um, you know, not keeping up their end of the covenant. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all of my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. He's saying that they sent, um, he sent prophets to them. He kept trying to remind them of their covenant, to remind them of their, the promise that, that was made and what they were supposed to do, and they didn't listen. Uh, yes, Pam already opened the treasure chest, sorry. Um, so this is important, I think, because uh, it explains a lot that we see going on today. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. They didn't want to be corrected and told, you know, to, to follow the law that they were supposed to be following. They didn't want to be corrected for their errors. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away and take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. They're sacrificing their children to Moloch and Baal, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my heart. He did not want them to engage in child sacrifice. He was disgusted by it. He hated it. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, 
for they shall bury and Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah, from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. So anyone questioning, you know, if God is like a hippie or something, no, justice is important to him. And this is why the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Okay, so going back into show prep, you know, we see the same behavior going around today, the same stuff. They're still sacrificing children, aren't they? Are they not? Are they not still engaging in idolatry? It's the same. They're doing the same thing that they were doing back then that they continuously fell back into. Here's a perfect example. <laughs> There's Bibi. And there is Pollard. Wickedness. Wickedness. He is saying to him, look at the smile on his face. Oh, he's so happy that you know, Jonathan Pollard, who spied on behalf of Israel, you know, was able to compromise U.S. national security and put our service men and women at risk. He's real pleased with that. Such wickedness. So here is what we're going to cover. This comes from Politico. A convicted U.S. spy Pollard is greeted by Netanyahu arrives in Israel. Pollard, who should have been executed for penetrating or perpetrating one of the most harmful acts of espionage against America, is flown back to Zionist headquarters of Israel by Sheldon Adelson and welcomed as a hero by Bibi. And uh, Eli Clifton covering this as well. Israeli spy Jonathan Pollard's trip from EWR to Tel Aviv on a private plane is interesting. The plane appears to have a Las Vegas Sands library, the corporation controlled by the GOP's and Trump's biggest donor, Sheldon Adelson. The photos appeared in Israel, Hayam, owned by Adelson. That's lovely. Although I have to say, I'm pretty sure Adelson turned his back on Trump. Um, what was it, in 2019, they had a falling out. Because, you know, Adelson thought he, he could dictate to Trump how to run the country because he donated to his campaign. That's not how it works, bud. Okay. 
So here we go. Unbelievable. Convicted spy Pollard is greeted as a hero by Bibi as he arrives in Israel in a plane provided by American casino magnate Sheldon Adelson. Pollard, who spent 30 years in prison, should have been given capital punishment for spying for Israel, arrived in Israel early Wednesday with his wife, triumphantly kissing the ground as he exited the aircraft in the culmination of a decades-long affair which had st long strained relations between the two close allies. Unbelievable. We're ecstatic to be home at last after 35 years, Pollard said, as he was greeted at Israel's international airport by Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. The Israeli leader jubilantly presented Pollard and his wife Esther with Israeli ID cards, granting them citizenship. You're home, Bibi said, reciting a Hebrew blessing of thanks. What a moment, what a moment. Again, profaning God, mocking God, and using him for cover for their wicked deeds. They have learned nothing. Pollard arrived on a private plane provided by American casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, a billionaire supporter of both Bibi and President Trump. Pollard, 66, and his wife walked slowly down the steps as they exited the aircraft. Pollard got on his knees and kissed the ground as his wife put her hand on his back with Netanyahu standing by in the darkness because he's nothing but darkness. Esther Pollard, who is battling cancer, then kissed the ground and was helped up by her husband. Pollard thanked Bibi and the Jewish people for supporting him in his treasonous treachery. We hope to become productive citizens as soon and as quickly as possible and to get on with our lives here, he said. Pollard, a civilian intelligence analyst for the U.S. Navy, sold military secrets. Again, he endangered our military. What an ally to Israel while working at the Pentagon in the 1980s. He was arrested in 1985 after trying unsuccessfully to gain asylum at the Israeli embassy in Washington and pleaded guilty. The espionage affair during the Reagan years embarrassed Israel and tarnished its relations with the U.S. for years. This is just one of many. Hello, Epstein, Maxwell, how many other operations are they running against this country? Mega group. On and on and on. Pollard was given a life sentence. He should have been in prison for life. And U.S. defense and intelligence officials consistently argued against his release because he did not tell the truth. He never gave up what he was really doing. 
I mean, he never cooperated after he was arrested. This absolute sociopath. Um, Kidney Nurse says Pollock looks like a pedo. Absolutely. He has the rosy cheeks like they, you know, tend to have. Um, but there is no evidence of that, just, you know, to put that out there. But he does have the look, let's be honest. But after serving 30 years in federal prison, he was released in November of 2015. Thanks, Obama. And placed on a five-year parole period that ended in November. That cleared the way for him to leave the U.S. Yeah, because Bill Barr allowed it to happen and didn't extend his parole period, which he could have. His DOJ could have intervened on behalf of national security, and they could have prevented it. They chose not to. Pollard's arrival was first reported by Israel Hayam, a newspaper owned by Adelson. The newspaper published photos of Pollard and his wife both wearing masks on what it said was a private plane that arrived early Wednesday from Newark, New Jersey. It said the private flight was necessary due to the medical needs of Esther Pollard. The newspaper's editor, Boaz Bismuth, called it the most exciting day of his four-decade journalism career. Real exciting. Welcoming a traitor that compromised American national security and put our military at risk. But these are our allies, right? They're so excited. <laughs> Photographs of the plane with the pollards match the color scheme of the aircraft owned by the Las Vegas Sands Corp, the hotel and casino company owned by Adelson. Flight tracking data showed a Boeing 737 owned by the company, tail number N108MS, left Newark for Ben-Gurion International Airport outside Tel Aviv. Effie Lahav, head of an activist group that campaigned for Pollard's release from prison, said Pollard had been flown on a top-secret mission overnight. The fact that Esther and Jonathan arrived here in Israel excites us very much. Of course it does, because you're evil and wicked like your father. He told the Army radio station, these people, such wickedness, and they don't even care. They are of their father, the devil, the prince of lies. There is no truth in them. The Annette website said the couple was in quarantine, which is mandatory for all returning Israelis as a measure to guard against the spread of COVID. The country has barred the arrival of all tourists, but appeared to be welcoming the couple as Israelis. Right. Nobody else can come in, but we'll, we'll make room for, you know, the treacherous, treasonous spy. Pollard's release was the latest in a long line of diplomatic gifts given to Bibi by President Trump. That's how Politico spins this, I would say, really, Bill Barr. His arrival in Israel gives the embattled Bibi a welcome boost as he fights for re-election in the parliamentary elections. Bibi has been one of Trump's closest allies on the international stage. Over the past four years, Trump has recognized, contested Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moved the embassy to the holy city. In other departures from traditional U.S. positions, 
Trump has also recognized Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights and said that the Israeli West Bank settlements are not illegal. Well, he doesn't get to just say that. I mean, according to international law, they are, and brokered a series of diplomatic agreements between Israel and Arab nations. And that, of course, is the Gulf coalition against Iran, uh, as I discussed. So here um, we have uh, Eli Clifton reporting on this. And you can see them uh, boarding the plane that is a plane owned by Sheldon Adelson. Despicable. For comparison, here's a photo of one of the Sands Corporation's planes. Did the GOP's biggest funder just loan one of his planes to a former U.S. Navy analyst who served 30 years in prison for spying on the U.S. for Israel? Yes, they did. And that should tell you everything about the GOP. Flashback. Jonathan Pollard's birthday present. Sheldon Adelson to push for Pollard's release. And other things from August of 2012. And you know, Barack Obama did it. He let him out in 2015. Unbelievable. Ooh. Um... Let's see. Papadopoulos, Twitter breaking. The man who introduced me to Joseph Misfit has been indicted in Italy. Ooh, that's interesting. Wow. Confirmed by AP, Pollard 66 arrived on a plane owned by billionaire Sheldon Adelson, a strong supporter of Bibi and Trump. And look at the hat she's wearing there. Do you recognize that as a Soviet hat? They're, they don't even hide it. I'm so disgusted. So disgusted. <laughs> Finally, a screen cap of Pollard arriving in Tel Aviv and a photo of one of Adelson's 737. One of, if not the biggest American political donor, gave a very expensive ride to a man convicted of espionage against the U.S. This seems like a big deal. You're damn right. But then they tell you dual citizenship and dual loyalty is a, um, is a conspiracy theory. Oh, really? Oh, really? Doesn't seem like it to me. How is this a conspiracy theory? Sheldon Adelson has said himself, all he cares about is being a good Israeli. He's a dual citizen with dual loyalty. Clearly. Adelson's wife, Miriam Adelson, says convicted spy Pollard deserves Israel's deepest and eternal gratitude for endangering American servicemen compares him to a wounded soldier returning from a long and difficult journey and urges Americans to forget what he did. Never. We will never forget what he did. How dare they? Disgusting. 
No, we'll never forget. Miriam, you don't run the United States. You might think that you do, but you don't. How absolutely sickening. And they'll just clap like seals the next time BB comes and speaks to, uh, you know, our Senate and Congress. All they do is just clap like seals. They'll give them standing ovations. Good Lord. They always get their way. PB said himself, he doesn't care who the president is. It doesn't matter because Israel still gets their way. He said it. He said that himself. BB said that. You know, he was the one of the first to congratulate Joe Biden on being president-elect. And he said that it doesn't matter who the president is because they still run shit. Good Lord. Baby who brought in the Russian mafia. <laughs> Unreal. Adelson's Las Vegas Sands arrived in Tel Aviv from Newark last night. Did it bring Pollard to Israel? Of course it did. Of course it did. You know, Sheldon Adelson should be in prison. Adelson's newspaper has a picture of Pollard boarding what appears to be their 737. And here it is, confirmed. Look at this and try not to vomit. Oh, we're so grateful for you for destroying America's national security and stealing all their nuclear and technology secrets so we could sell it to Russia and China and everybody else. We're so grateful that you endangered American military. Oh, we're so grateful. And look at her in her little Soviet Russia hat. Home. Back home. Now... Oh, if that doesn't show you the masks are just for show, they just both take it off. Oh, but I thought they're going into quarantine. Unbelievable. Unreal. We are ecstatic to be home at last after 35 years. And we thank. He 
doesn't regret a thing. He doesn't give a damn. He's He hasn't repented for his sins, for what he did, for putting American military at risk, for destroying our national security. He's proud of what he did. And he did it for money. He didn't do it because he cares so much about the Jewish people. No. He cared about the money. The people and the Prime Minister of Israel for bringing us home. No one could be prouder of this country or of this leader than we are. And we hope to become productive citizens as soon and as quickly as possible to get on with our lives here. This is a wonderful country. It has a tremendous future. It is the future of the Jewish people. And we're not going anywhere. So thank you. Profoundly thank you very much. Thank you. Get some much. You're welcome. You're welcome home. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Absolutely shameful and disgusting. How shameful. The Pollards on Adelson's Las Vegas Sands jet heading to Israel. Look at this. Absolutely disgusting. Israel still owes American Jews an apology for the Pollard affair. You think? How about you owe America an apology for the Pollard affair? <laughs> Good Lord. How about you repent for what you've done? He doesn't give a damn. He doesn't care. I'm so angry. That's not even beginning to talk about the Chabad Lubavitch pardons. The king of Medicare fraud. Absolute scumbag. I don't know why he was pardoned. Pollard, traitor to America, who spied for Israel, given a hero's welcome by BB. Pollard quietly flown to Israel on pro-Israel billionaire and GOP mega donor Sheldon Adelson's private plane. Oh, and if you're wondering why it is that you're not going to hear about any of these issues on mainstream conservative outlets this is why because they're all bought and paid for by adelson <sighs> jonathan pollard a u.s born jewish american intelligence analyst who stole u.s military secrets and sold them to israel among other countries received a hero's welcome on wednesday by prime minister bibi netanyahu after being flown out of the U.S. on billionaire GOP megadonor Sheldon Adelson's personal private plane. Pollard had the terms of his parole quietly lifted by the Trump administration last month to allow him to make aliyah to ascend in Israel. Absolutely disgusting. 
we just watched this video, so we don't need to watch that again. And we just looked at that as well. And this. <laughs> Good Lord, it's just stunning. Miriam saying to just forget about, you know, all of the uh, damage he did to our country and all the people he put at risk. Israeli spy Jonathan Pollard greeted by Netanyahu on arrival in Israel on a private jet. How did the American people come to be screwed so badly and so openly by their so-called elected representatives on behalf of a foreign country that has brought us nothing but grief. Exactly. <laughs> How ridiculous. While you were sleeping, paroled spy Jonathan Pollard slipped away from the United States and flew to Israel, and Bibi meets him at the airport with newly issued Israeli ID card. The incident comes just days after Congress voted to give over $38 billion to Israel and give billions more in foreign aid to countries like Egypt and Sudan for normalizing relations with Israel. So that's called a bribe. That's called a bribe. You're paying them to normalize relations. Are, are any of you disgusted by this? If you're not, you should be. Unbelievable. Yeah, the good works thing, good works are dead without faith in humility. From the AP, Pollard, who spent years spying, 30 years in prison for spying for Israel, arrived in Israel early Wednesday with his wife triumphantly kissing the ground. You're home, Bibi said, and then had the audacity to give him a Hebrew blessing. Unbelievable. Effie Lahab, head of an activist group, said he campaigned for Pollard's release from prison, but Pollard's arrival was kept secret since we realized it's better to be discreet regarding his arrival. How disgusting. How gross. Traitors to America are heroes to Israel. Pollard defended leaking U.S. military secrets to Israel during an interview with 60 Minutes in 1988 by suggesting America was to blame for the Holocaust and claiming he was only persecuted because of anti-Semitism. The same bullshit lie they always use. They use anti-Semitism as a shield and a weapon, a shield for their wickedness. In the Holocaust guilt, they do this over and over again. We're constantly battered by Hollywood movies about the Holocaust. There are zero Hollywood movies depicting the 60 million people murdered by communism. None. Well, well they use the same playbook. The same playbook yeah. we're seeing now. They had to 
reinvents it with with which would probably had a, a more legitimate gripe. <laughs> um, I'm not referring to what the Holocaust was, but I'm saying just in general, as far as this the anti-Semitism being equated to you know anti or being you know racist as you know it's the same play that we see with the Black Lives Matter thing. It's the same thing. It's like oh, if you're not if you don't advocate for our you know this exact thing. If, if you're not actively, you know, campaigning against this, then you are, you must be that. Yeah. And it's the same, it's just, it's the same, it's just, it's the same type of um, argument here um, that's being used again now when, with what we've seen from BLM. It's exactly the same thing. And it's disgusting. We know that they do this stuff on purpose to, um, basically use it as a shield against any form of criticism. Anytime you try to criticize anything they do, they cry anti-Semitism. And I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to give in to these wicked people because they use a word that's made up. You know, Arab people are also Semitic. So this is all nonsense. And they've created this sort of psychological weapon where anytime anyone tries to talk about their crimes and they cry anti-Semitism, all conversation is shut down. What a weapon that is, isn't it? Such wizards of semantics. And this also goes to show you, he doesn't give a damn about all the people in America he put at risk. He blames us for the Holocaust and calls everybody anti-Semitic. U.S. Ambassador Richard Jones said in the 2007, during a conference on U.S.-Israel relations at Bar-Ilan University, that Pollard was a traitor who committed treason against his own country and took money for what he did. He sold out his country, Jones says. The fact that he wasn't executed is the mercy that Pollard will receive. No, he's received far more since then. He just got to kiss the ground of Israel where he's going to be treated like a little king for hurting America. Oh, but they're our greatest ally, and we have to send them $38 billion in aid and then give them a bunch of our other military technology. Do you wonder why we do that? Gee, maybe it's because they penetrated our country a long time ago and compromised it. At a conference at Bar-Ilan University on Monday, U.S. Ambassador to Israel Richard Jones referred to the contentious issue of Jonathan Pollard, the U.S. naval officer convicted of spying for Israel. Ambassador Jones was quite blunt and wasted no words. I have found that this is a very emotional issue uh, in the United States. As an observer of my own country, I've tried to understand why this is. I really think it has to do with the basic fact that this person committed treason against his own country. I know he was helping a friend, but that's what makes it even more emotional for Americans. That a friend would cooperate in aiding and abetting someone who was uh, committing treason against his own country. Um, and in fact, I don't know that many Israelis know this, but it's 
came out in the trial very clearly. Jonathan Pollard took the money for what he did. He sold out his country. The fact that he wasn't executed is the mercy that Jonathan Pollard was. Coming soon on InfoLife TV, the full feature on U.S.-Israeli relations. Pollard was released from prison by the Obama administration in 2015. Top former FBI lawyer and U.S. counterintelligence official Emmy Spike Bowman told the National Press Club in 2014 that Pollard was one of the most damaging espionage agents in American history. By his own admission, he said, I gave Israel enough information to occupy a space that would be six feet by six feet by 10 feet. Good God. Bowman said one of the documents Pollard handed over was a raisin manual, which at the, at the time described all the communications capabilities of the Middle East and how the NSA could attack them and how the NSA is run by a Jewish woman. Huh. That's interesting. I'm going to talk to you about the Jonathan Pollard case, but uh, in or I'm going to make a very dogmatic statement about it. In order to have any credibility in saying it, I need to give you just a little bit of background first. I am a lawyer, but I've not always been a lawyer. I was uh, for six years an, a naval intelligence officer, and then at the, that point the Navy decided I would be better as a lawyer and sent me to, to law school. I only had a couple of years as a lawyer before I had unexpected transfer orders to the National Security Agency. I was the first judge advocate to go to the NSA, and uh, the reason I went, Gen uh, the director of the agency at the time was Admiral Bobby Inman, smartest man I've ever met in my life. And as soon as I got to NSA, he pulled me into his office and he said, I made a mistake in my life. I always went to one particular lawyer for, for advice. And we both made admiral and we never had time to talk to each other again. He said, I want you to learn everything you can about uh, intelligence operations and how to support them with legal, with, with your law degree and go out and, and train other people to do it. And uh, so that was my direction at first. I, from there, I, after I left NSA, I got a second law degree, and then the, I went, became the legal advisor to naval intelligence. Long story short, in my 27 years of active duty, I only had two assignments that were not supporting intelligence operations. And as, as I neared the end of my career, I came back from a, a tour as a diplomat in Italy, and I'd only been here a couple of months when the FBI came and said, we want you to come and do the same thing for us that you did in the Navy. So I spent the next 11 years in the senior executive service of the FBI. That, uh, the reason I give you that background is because I have worked every major intelligence, uh, every major espionage operation uh, for between 1979 and 2009, and quite a few that weren't major operations as well. In my judgment, there are four espionage agents who stand out as the ones who did the most damage to the United States. Chronologically, they are John Walker, 
Jonathan Pollard, Aldrich Ames, and Bob Hansen, who I knew. Wow. Did you hear that? That is insane. Very nice. Personally. I'd never worked the Aldrich James case. That's the only one that I didn't work because I was transitioning from the Navy to the FBI at that time. Now, why do I say that Jonathan Pollard was a major problem or major did a major damage to us? Background for him, as you as you heard, was when he was a Navy uh, intelligence analyst, and he wanted to make a lot of money. And he had ideas about weapon schemes and things like this. But one day he was talking to a friend of his in New York who commented that he had met a very interesting person, a colonel in the Israeli Air Force named Avicella. And Pollard said, can you introduce me to him? And he did. And right off the bat, Jonathan Pollard said, I can help you. What, you know, what is it you would like to have? Well, Sella naturally had uh, had Jonathan Pollard checked out and they realized that he was intent on what he said. And so he said, and they said, yes, we'll be glad to receive anything that you can get. Well, Pollard had a top secret SCI clearance and he had a courier pass so he could take classified information out and, and uh, anything he wanted. And he started giving information to the Israelis and one of the comments they said was that, don't give us any secret information. We don't need that level. Only top secret and SCI information. <laughs> and so that's, that's what he started doing. And because of his credentials and his courier pass, he could go to the various intelligence libraries and get anything he wanted. And Pretty soon, the Israelis started tasking him with specific documents they wanted. And the, uh, the, re the way they were able to do that is they had a book that was published by the DIA that was basically a catalog of all the things that were available. And Jonathan Pollard didn't give it to them. They got that from somebody else. So Jonathan Pollard started giving them whatever they wanted. Now, just to recap for a moment uh, what Bob Pollard was trying to do, he didn't start out to give information to the Israelis. He started out trying to sell anything he could, including classified information. He approached the Pakistanis, he approached the South Africans, he approached the Australians. He turned over classified information to a South African attache just as a show of good faith. So, you know, he's, he's not a person who was trying just to help the, the, uh, the Israelis. He was a uh, pretty venal person here. At one point when they were, uh, he was meeting with his handlers in Paris, uh, he, he started commenting, you know, I'm, I'm really taking a big risk, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I could really get a lot of time in jail for what I'm doing. It's, it's a big deal. And uh, the Israelis said, well, what is it you want? He said, up it by a thousand a month. <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is really what he is. He's, he's a person <clears throat> trying to make money. Now, what did he do to earn my suggestion that he's one of the top four? 
he took so much information to the Israelis that they had to install two high-speed copiers in an apartment, uh, apartment to take care of everything that he brought them. He would take information out every night in a couple of, of uh, briefcases, give it to them to copy, and then it, uh, because they had high-speed copiers, they were able to get it back to him quickly, and then he would replace it as soon as he got to work in the morning. How much did he give them? By his own admission, he said, I gave them enough information to occupy, occupy a space that would be six feet by six feet by 10 feet. That's his admission. We never got uh, the documents back from the Israelis that, that he gave them. Now, they did give us a few documents back. They gave us a couple thousand back. Uh, but uh, really, you know, we, we don't know all that he gave, although Jonathan Pollard has a, a, a almost uh, photographic mind, so he was able to tell us an awful lot about what he did. Now, the reason he told us all this stuff is we made a deal that we would, uh, his, his wife was involved in this too, and we, we made a deal that we would cap her, sal her uh, uh, sentence to five years, and that we would not ask for the maximum punishment for him. Now, the, the information that he turned over, some of it actually uh, was information covered by 18 U.S. Code 794, which is mostly electronics communication information, carries a death penalty in it. But at the time that Jonathan Pollard was, uh, did his, his espionage work, there was no death penalty in the United States. That had been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And at that time, a life sentence was really in practice 30 years. So that's what we were looking at. Jonathan Pollard was pretty good about telling us all the information that he had, uh, had given over. And as a consequence of that, one of the things that we do usually with uh, espionage agents, or at least that I did, is I would write an affidavit for a senior officer to, to sign that explained what the harm was. So of, of the things that he gave us, I selected 19 different documents that represented the different categories of information that uh, he had, had turned over to the Israelis. And I just using each one, I explained what the harm is from this type of information, not from this document, but from this type of information and gave it to Secretary Weinberger. And uh, Secretary Weinberger made his edits to it. One of his edits, I have to tell you about this, one of his edits was he put in a, a, a sentence in there that said that if the death penalty were available, I would have no hesitation in recommending it. Ooh. I crossed that out. And the next version I sent in to him, he put the same thing back in. <laughs> and finally, I said, Mr. Secretary, if we can't ask for the maximum punishment, which is life, we can't say that death is appropriate. 
He finally got the picture. But anyway, this, this affidavit was then given to Judge Aubrey Robinson, who's now deceased, uh, and uh, I, I took it to him personally. I sat in an outer room while he read it and gave it back to me and said, thank you very much, that's all he said. And then uh, we went to sentencing. And at sentencing, the uh, prosecutors really didn't say anything. They, they got up and they said, he's done harm, uh, he should receive a substantial sentence. Uh, but that's about the character of, of all they said. Wow. Jonathan Pollard got up and talked about the, uh, him, what he had done and how sorry he was. Please. And by the way, I really didn't do anything that caused any harm. And Judge Robinson said, come up here, young man. And he pulled out the affidavit, which he now had the, in, in his hand, and he pulled it open to a few pages, and he said, okay, now explain this one. And Jonathan Pollard couldn't answer what it was because it was a very big deal. Uh, in fact, it has been made public now, so I can tell you what Judge Robinson was pointing at. It was something that's, that we call the Raisin Manual, and the Raisin Manual is, was, the, at that time, a, a document that described all of the communications capabilities of the Middle East and how NSA could attack them. And Judge Robinson just said, explain this one, young man, and, and he was done. Uh, so at sentencing, Jonathan Pollard got life, which as I said, meant about 30 years. He has been there for about 27 or eight years at this point. He is, has been eligible for parole for some time he does, will not ask for parole because he wants clemency so that, that as soon as he steps out of prison, he can leave the United States and go to Israel. So that is my story of Jonathan Pollard. I am going to finish, uh, it looks like, 13 seconds early. <laughs> so I thank you for, for uh, coming. Absolutely despicable. And the article ends saying, while Americans are getting screwed over by their own government at levels never before seen, our government is lavishing Israel with billions of our taxpayer dollars in allowing their spies to make a liar. Just kind of stunning, isn't it? I, I don't even know what to say. I don't. I just am speechless about that. I think that video speaks for itself. He compromised the NSA. I mean, not only that, but U.S. military, he put our troops at risk. That matters. Now, here's the next lovely thing we have to look forward to. Biden wants to change how credit scores work in America. Lovely. You get a social credit now. I mean, that's what they want. Uh, Diane says, heard Benny was attacked in his home with a direct energy weapon. Yes, I saw that, um, and it looks like Benny himself confirmed that that happened. And, you know, what's interesting is that happened around the same time this bizarre 
bomb thing was happening in Nashville. Very interesting. Um, I don't know if there's a connection to that uh, or what it would be, but it's very bizarre. Um, so this continues. The credit industry isn't working if you ask consumer advocates. The big three credit agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian are black boxes. Gathering and selling consumer data, grading us on our financial behavior without letting us in on how they do it, and perpetrating damaging racial disparities. Oh, okay. That's why consumer advocates are calling for a public credit reporting agency and why President-elect Joe Biden has adopted a proposal just for just that from a left-leaning think tank, Demos. Oh, so a Democrat-leaning think tank for a social credit rating. The proposal suggests building a publicly run credit reporting agency within the CFPB. Remember that CFPB is an Elizabeth Warren fraud machine that would eventually, over the course of seven years, replace the current for-profit credit system in America. The agency would be steered by consumer need rather than the bottom line. Oh, bullshit. According to proposal author Amy Traub, no, it would be run by the state, by government need. Today, credit reports, which, which are issued by just three large private companies, are rife with problems. They often contain errors and leave many credit invisible due to the sources used to generate the score, and they contribute to racial disparities. Nonsense. Biden's plan for investing in communities through housing reads. Credit scores impact every corner of an American's financial life. A less than ideal credit score can make it harder to get a loan for a house, car, start a business, or even get a job. What does that say about American society, though? You didn't used to need a credit score to get a job. And how much credit worthiness is determined perpetuates the racist systems and policies that have plagued Black, Latinx, in other minority communities, what race, racist systems and policies? What are you talking about? And what about the um, Spanish people that don't like being called Latinx? There are Mexicans I know that don't use that phrase. It's ridiculous. It's pandering. So this is a social credit score is what they're asking for. We're depending on your race you will get a better credit rating. What? It's, it's like China. They want a state-run credit system, a social credit rating run by the government, just like China's Sesame Credit. Yay. I have another disturbing article to share with everybody. Uh, and before I continue with this one, if you have any children in the room, you may want to ask them to leave. This is called Sexual Soft Totalitarianism. And that's exactly what it is. In Gay We Trust, topless feminist protester demonstrates outside of the Vatican. In Gay We Trust. 
several of you have sent me the link to the First Things piece by Carlo Lancelotti titled The Origins of Sexual Totalitarianism. Before we start on it, let me issue a public appeal I have made to my friend Carlo in private. Please write a book about this stuff. I agree. Carlo absolutely should do that. Carlo is the translator into English of the Italian political theorist Augusto Del Nos. Del Nos is not easy to read, but Carlo is an excellent writer. I think he could write a kind of Del Nos for Dummies book that would uh, popularize the great man's work. A few years ago, I asked my pal Carl Truman to write a Philip Reef for Dummies book to help the likes of self who gets lost in Reef's prose. Carl produced this fall one of the most important Christian books I've ever read, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It goes way beyond Reef. If you want to know why things are the way they are, then read Carl Truman. This really is the book so many of us have been waiting on. I have every confidence that Carlo, who is a superb writer and thinker, could write a similar book explaining Del Nos. Everybody needs to tell Carlo this so he will stop cruelly denying us this much-needed work. Anyway, before we get to Carlo's new essay, I want to share a couple of pertinent videos with you. The first video is feminist protesters in Argentina celebrating the legalization of abortion in that country, the right to kill their babies. jumping up and down, cackling like demons over the notion that they get to murder babies in the womb. Here's another one. Naked, fueled by serious drugs, and with weird haircuts, young Argentine women take to the streets to celebrate how they will now be able to legally terminate the lives of the unborn. Behold the MTV Hollywood Instagram generation. Hashtag cultural Marxism. called demonic activity so here's carlo lancelotti commenting on the failure of many of us conservatives to understand why we've been baited and switched on dialogue about lgbt in the churches 
I will use as a guide some observations by Italian political philosopher Augusto Del Nos, who in the 1960s witnessed the early stages of the sexual revolution. Del Nos was original in studying the sexual revolution as a philosophical phenomenon that reflected a new worldview and not just new social circumstances, e.g. women working or contraception. In my opinion, a failure to fully grasp this worldview is the reason why today many intelligent people seem genuinely surprised that movements putatively seeking tolerance for marginalized minorities should be so intolerant of dissent. Del Nos himself was frustrated by his fellow Catholics' failure to correctly assess the sexual revolution. Despite being, by all counts, a gentle and polite man, in 1970, he wrote that the fact that so many people thought they were merely facing changes in a society's senses of modesty could be used as evidence that Catholics are a mentally inferior species. In reality, he explained what they were facing was a condemnation of modesty as abnormal, and this condemnation is moral in its own way. These words encapsulate what he considered the worst possible misunderstanding of the sexual revolution as a slackening of morals. Looser sexual morality may have been its practical result and was probably how common people experienced it, but it was absolutely not how the sexual revolution was conceived by the many writers, filmmakers, therapists, journalists, and intellectuals who advocated for it. To them, it was not a moral slackening, but a moral quickening. It meant freeing people from irrational and oppressive taboos, harmonizing morality and nature, reconciling life and science. The revolution was, in its own way, intrangentally moral. It just inhabited a different ethical universe. This is why Del Nos wrote, any dialogue, quote unquote, with the advocates of sexual liberalization is perfectly useless, simply because they start by denying a priori the metaphysics that is the source of what they regard as repressive morality. It was a waste of time to try to convince them of moral claims that made sense only within a philosophical framework that they rejected and did little to alert the rest of society to what was really at stake. Carlos says Del Nos took Wilhelm Reich, the theorist of sexual revolution. He actually wrote a book called The Sexual Revolution. Seriously, Reich thought that the only thing keeping us from reaching our goal of happiness was sexual repression. How absurd. Here's Carlo. Del, Del Nos observed that Reich's idea of sexual revolution contains in Nus exactly the totalitarian tendencies that have become more visible in recent years. Indeed, if science, quote unquote, guarantees that mankind can achieve happiness by eliminating all forms of repression, how can religion and fascism, quote unquote, of course, be allowed to stand in the way? The following sentence from the sexual revolution sums it up nicely. Religion should not be fought, but any interference with the right to carry the findings of 
natural science to the masses and with the attempts to secure their sexual happiness should not be tolerated. Read the whole thing. See, this is why I say there can be no dialogue within the church over LGBT rights. Update, within the church is the context, I mean here, the role of LGBT people of gay sex within the Christian church. Dialogue, quote unquote, is just a strategy to make what should not be up for discussion, up for discussion. When the sexual libera liberationists take power, they will suppress as bigots the traditionalists who were foolish enough to agree to talk to them. This is what has happened in the Episcopal Church. This is what revolutionaries are trying to make happen in Catholic and Orthodox churches. And they're not wrong to want to repress the traditionalists. If I believe that there was nothing wrong with gay sex, or sex outside of marriage and further, if I believe sexual satisfaction, happiness, quote unquote, was a matter of fundamental justice, then you'd better believe I would seek to suppress those who denied it, wouldn't you? If I had to write live not by lies again, I would have discussed Del Nose and the sexual revolution. You can be sure I'll bring him up in the Shunneman Lecture I'll be delivering next month via Zoom, sponsored by St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological Seminary. Many on the Orthodox left, advocates for changing Orthodox teaching and practice on homosexuality, have been campaigning to get my lecture canceled. I hope you will sign up to watch it. I will not mince words when I talk about the crisis facing the Orthodox Church and all traditional churches in this era of soft totalitarianism. Anyway, please take Carlo Lancelotti seriously here. Del Nos was right. We traditionalists, Christians and otherwise, who will not yield to the demands of the sexual revolution will be made to suffer. This is what happens in revolutions. Del Nos is right. What they demand is not a loosening of sexual strictures but an overturning of the metaphysical basis of Christian morality. It's not reform. It really is revolution. Well, exactly. And it's satanic. Absolutely evil. None of those people are free. They all look like morons dancing to the tune of some demon. <sighs> it's sad. It's sad because I feel bad for those girls. I think that a lot of those young feminists have been totally brainwashed. Um, you know what I mean? What does Orthodox mean? The Orthodox church is um, a very old uh, church that goes back to the time of the apostles who were the original church fathers. Um, that's what it means. <laughs> They're very traditional. We'll just put it that way, King James. Charlton Heston's prophetic words on political correctness. Combine Moses in a Harvard discourse on cancel culture and one encounters a perfect storm for prophetic words. That's exactly what happened on February 16th, 1999, when Charlton Heston, movie star, 
and president of the NRA addressed a standing room only crowd at Harvard Law School. The film actor who played Moses in Ben-Hur spoke to the students and faculty about American rights, particularly free speech, and the vital importance of speaking up for liberty. Today, the woke and cancel culture crew of our major universities would likely have rioted and driven Heston from the stage and campus. Yet his remarks act as both a warning to all Americans and as a poignant reminder of what we have lost in so short a time. Referencing Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, Heston declared, quote, I believe that we are, again, engaged in a great civil war, a cultural war that's about to hijack your birthright to think and say what lives in your heart, unquote. Absolutely. Um, then he then quotes from Martin Gross's book, The End of Sanity, noting that, quote, blatantly irrational behavior is rapidly being established as the norm in almost every area of human endeavor. There seem to be new customs, new rules, new anti-intellectual theories regularly twisted on us, hoisted on us from every direction. Underneath, the nation is roiling. Americans know something without a name is undermining the country, turning the mind mushy when it comes to separating truth from falsehood and right from wrong, and they don't like it, unquote. Uh, this is absolutely correct. Throughout his speech, Heston cites a score of specific examples of political correctness at work on campuses and in the culture at large, stories that read like today's headlines, racially segregated dorms on campuses, authoritarian protocols for dating, re, uh, research suppressed because it disapproved pet theories, and more. He then speaks boldly and directly to his young audience, quote, you are the best and brightest. You here in this fertile cradle of American academia, here in the castle of learning on the Charles River, you are the cream, unquote. Yet despite the brightness of his audience, Heston recognized a big problem. Quote, but I submit that you and your counterparts across the land are the most socially conformed and politically silenced generation since Concord Bridge. And as long as you validate that and abide in it, you are, by your grandfather's standards, cowards. <laughs> this dude is awesome. But what can you do, Heston continues? How can anyone prevail against such pervasive social subjugation? The answer, stand your ground, something Heston claims he learned while standing with Dr. Martin Luther King and those who protested with them. You simply disobey, peaceably, yes, respectfully, of course, nonviolently, absolutely. But when told how to think, or what to say, or how to behave, we don't. We disobey the social protocol that stifles and stigmatizes personal freedom. He then provides some specific means of resistance. 
when a mugger sues his elderly victim for defending herself, jam the switchboard of the district attorney's office. When your university is pressured, your university is pressured to lower standards until 80% of the students graduate with honors, choke the halls of the Board of Regents. When an eight-year-old boy pecks a girl's cheek on the playground and then gets hauled into court for sexual harassment, march on that school and block its doorways. When someone you elected is seduced by political power and betrays you, petition them, oust them, banish them. When Time Magazine's cover portrays Millennium Nuts as deranged, crazy Christians holding a cross as it did last month, boycott their magazine and the products it advertises. The reason why Americans should offer this resistance, Heston explains, is so this nation may long endure. Therefore, he urges his listeners to follow in the hollowed footsteps of the great disobediences of history that freed exiles, founded religions, defeated tyrants, and yes, in the hands of an aroused rabble in arms and a few great men, by God's grace, built this country. Regarding political correctness in the future, Heston tells his audience, among other things, it means that telling us what to think has evolved into telling us what to say, so telling us what to do can't be far behind. We're living that future right now. After decades of being told what to think and say, we've come to the point where many of our politicians, bureaucrats, academics, and radicals are telling us what to do. Often, they don't even bother to explain their directives. Here in Virginia, for example, Governor Ralph Northam ordered a statewide curfew from Monday until 5 a.m. as a preventative measure against COVID. How does this arbitrary clampdown stop the spread of a virus? Our state government also commands us to wear masks, even while outdoors. Wherever we encounter such tyranny, petty, or grandiose, we must, like Charlton Heston, resist. Complaining to like-minded friends about fraud in the presidential elections, criticizing our governor in our homes but with no public protest, these may relieve some of our anxieties, but they do nothing to change our world for the better. Our silence and obedience makes us our own oppressors. It's time to listen to Mr. Heston. Absolutely, indeed. I think that's true. I think he's absolutely correct. When we just complain about it, like to each other, that's not a threat to them. They don't really care. What they do care about is you know, blocking their ability to get into their stupid buildings at work, showing up at their homes, you know, letting them know that we're not going to put up with their nonsense. Boycotting their publications, etc. And so I have a um, piece that was published today by, or I'm sorry, two days ago by uh, Glenn Greenwald, and I thought this was really good. The threat of authoritarianism in the U.S. is very real and has nothing to do with Trump. 
the COVID-driven centralization of economic power and information control in the hands of a few corporate monopolies poses enduring threats to political freedom. Yes, exactly. Asserting that Donald Trump is a fascist-like dictator threatening the previously sturdy foundations of U.S. democracy has been a virtual requirement over the last four years to obtain entrance to cable news green rooms, cinctures as mainstream newspaper columnists, and popularity in faculty lounges. Yet it has proven to be a preposterous farce. In 2020 alone, Trump had two perfectly crafted opportunities to seize authoritarian power a global health pandemic and sprawling protests and sustained riots throughout American cities, and yet did virtually nothing to exploit these opportunities. Actual would-be despots like Hungary's Viktor Orban quickly seized on the virus to declare martial law, while even prior U.S. presidents, to say nothing of foreign tyrants, have used the pretext of much less civil unrest than what we saw this summer to deploy the military in the streets to pacify their own citizenry. But early in the pandemic, Trump was criticized, especially by Democrats, for failing to assert the draconian powers he had, such as commandeering the means of industrial production under the Defense Production Act of 1950, invoked by Truman to force industry to produce material needs for the Korean War. In March, the Washington Post reported that Governors, Democrats, and Congress, and some Senate Republicans have been urging Trump for at least a week to invoke the act, and his potential 2020 opponent, Joe Biden, came out in favor of it, too. Yet Trump gave a variety of reasons for not doing so, rejecting demands to exploit a public health pandemic to exert extraordinary powers is not exactly what one expects from a striving dictator. A similar dynamic prevailed during the sustained protests and riots that erupted after the killing of George Floyd. While conservatives such as Senator Tom Cotton and his controversial New York Times op-ed urged the mass deployment of the military to quell the protesters, and while Trump threatened to deploy them if governors failed to pacify the riots, Trump failed to order anything more than a few isolated symbolic gestures such as having troops use tear gas to clean out protesters from Lafayette Park in his now infamous walk to a church provoking harsh criticism from the right, including Fox News, for failing to use more aggressive force to restore order. People will not forgive weakness. Tucker Carlson blasts Trump for not being tough enough amid unrest. Virtually every prediction expressed by those who push this doomsday narrative of Trump as a rising dictator, usually with great profit for themselves, never materialized. While Trump radically escalated bombing campaigns, he inherited from Bush and Obama, he started no new wars. When his policies were declared by courts to be unconstitutional, he either revised them to comport with judicial requirements, as in the case of the Muslim ban, or withdrew them, as in the case for diverting uh, Pentagon funds to build his wall. No journalists were jailed for criticizing or reporting negatively on Trump, let alone killed. 
as was endlessly predicted and sometimes even implied. Fashion well, what about what about uh, you know the, the, the all the blows to Jim Acosta's ego? I mean, surely that's <laughs> that is in some ways violence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good Lord. This is absolutely spot on, though. He didn't do any of these things that they said he was going to do. And all they did for four years was cry wolf. And, you know, it's just like embarrassing. You heard Acosta the other day saying, well, we're not really going to cover the Biden administration 24-7 with fact checks and everything else like we did to Trump because... You know, they just, they agree with his politics. They're like, oh, we don't need to check it because obviously it's, it's, it's correct. Right. You know? Yeah. It's... I mean, Biden apparently never lies. <laughs> I don't, I did. Well, we talked about it yesterday. I don't, I don't see how people can see that change and not understand this, but even from the other side, I mean, that was kind of why I, I, I kind of woke up to what was going on was, um, and I had already been, as we talked about, pretty pretty awake. But I, you know, I still voted for Obama twice. You know, so there, yeah. there wasn't a, a clearly, you know, a clearly the whole picture was still coming. And it takes it takes years. I'm talking like ten years to really come out of that. I mean, it's it's faster now because we've had more exposure, and I can see how people could come into it faster now that now that we've had this, yeah. all this exposure in the four years because it's you've seen people that were where I was, you know, ten years ago come up in a year. And I, and that's great. So I'm not, you know, saying that, okay, you're, you know, you're just a newbie, you know, but no, if people were awake to it, that's it. That's the whole point is you have to awake to it. If, and it's only the pace can only occur, can only occur as to what available information is there. Yeah. You know, at the time we didn't have a lot of available information. So it took a long time to be, you know, become abreast of certain subjects and then understand how those different subjects connected together and so with this and this project that's you know that we're faced with now, I can see why it's been accelerated and why it just needed to, putting all the right pieces together in such a way that we were able to, um, you know, take it all in and hold it all in our heads at the same time and really make the connections that we've been seeing. So yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's so obnoxious, like. These people just lie through their teeth and then they get rewarded for it. Right. Oh, sorry. I forgot my, I forgot. I just remembered my original premise for getting into that. Um, was that it was because of all the negativity ahead of the, the, the 2016 election. I'm like, why is everything so one-sided and just, and not that I was on the fence or I was, I was you know, I've never been a Republican or a Democrat. I was always an independent just because of just like, I, I, somehow knew that there was a unit party thing going on without really knowing it now not the way i know it now but i just yeah. just just had a sense of it or i don't know what it was um so like i said i think i told everyone uh, um i voted for bush twice and obama twice <laughs> it's so free it's so freaky that's yeah that's not that's what i'm talking about it's such a it's such a weird thing because you know you just don't know when you until you know and, and, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I've said that before too, about, you know, what no, was going on in the past. Cause we just, we just didn't know we were, you know, 
So, but it was all that negativity that really made me realize like, why are they pushing him so hard? I've never even seen that even with, uh, with Bush, that yeah. was never, never that hard of that critical. No. And he wasn't even, he hadn't even won the presidency yet. So yeah. I'm like, what is going on with that? And so that in, in particular is, um, what made me really start to understand what was going on Clinton wise, then leading, mm-hmm. I mean, never, never a big fan. I'm saying, I just meant like, just as far as the connections. I mean, I, I had learned things about her connections with nine 11 that I had never known yeah. um, and how thick of it. It's just, it's people, cause you people like, Oh, it's Bush, 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 nine 11. And it's not, it's like, it's like, no, oh, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's not quite, you know, uh, it wasn't quite available with the whole story and with all the pieces until um, she became the the front runner of the Democratic Party there. So yeah. So anyway, that's my thing on why you know for him to say like this, how, people will see that even on the left. And I, I, that, so. I just wanted I just wanted to. to share that little anecdotal story about myself, even though I wasn't a Democrat. Just right. of, of being, of just seeing it, even though I had come from a place of like more of a neutrality, just because I did, I'd never dipped my toes in the political waters. Well, yeah, I mean, this, and I hope that people see this stuff, like the way that they cover the Proud Boys and like right wing militias and stuff. None of them are out there like rioting and burning cities down. Like, do people realize that? <laughs> so, well, they it, use they're them constantly gaslighting. Yeah, they, it's like a, they gaslight this this false straw man based on a few uh, you know videotaped incidences that they've had from their from their group. They villainize them and then say that okay, it's always like that. And then they basically make 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 a false equivalency. They're like, oh, this is the same thing is antifa except antifa is good you know they they and they say and they say okay you uh you're having a rally oh it's just proud boys oh and then then they basically equate oh that must be white supremacy too so you know it's it's like their way of um signaling to as like the antifa is to the left they're they kind of use it as a crutch in their gaslighting mm-hmm. to, to kind exactly of say okay they do and, and but but with but we don't really like claim them the way like the left claims antifa, antifa. you know what i'm saying like as as far as in as far as defending every single action because we could them like if they're like okay we're gonna go out and we're gonna do something or they're they're where violence wasn't necessarily needed we people have called out proud boys for that and exactly, but you would never you would never see that on the other side um and 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 and, and, and the amount of activities either one has participated in is so lopsided that's the, the equivalence cannot be cannot be made this is but the exaggeration and the power that they have to lean their their, their thumb on the scales in terms of public um you know reporting and putting it out there they they in controlling that narrative they have the advantage there so that's why they kind of they're able to gain that equivalency but it comes from a gaslighting uh, you know a place of gaslighting yeah that's exactly what it is well we're at the top of the hour now we're going to be passing it over to Coach Clay and I-70. I think people are starting to, I think they're starting to wake up to this stuff, but it was all lies. Like, are these people going to be ashamed of themselves after crying for four years about how Trump is a dictator and, you know, he's going to do all this stuff that never happened? Uh, do they have no shame? I mean, 
it's just so frustrating, you know? I, I don't even know what to say. It's constant gaslighting of the American people. Stunning. Uh, the last thing I'll add before we turn it over, um, I looked up the song that they took down. Um, it's called Hoedown. It's from this uh, a ballet called Rodeo. Um, and it's the last feature of, of the, of the piece. So I don't know if that's some kind of a culmination thing that they're, that they're kind of signaling with that, but I think it's absolutely quite ridiculous that the, they had a copyright, copyright claim on it, but I guess it was from 1942. So it's not, it's not in the public domain yet. So they, I guess, whatever they have, they have a claim, but it's it's just pitiful. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Good Lord. These people are insane. I mean, you guys saw that video, those feminists in Argentina cheering and clapping like hyenas and demons because they're now allowed to legally murder babies in the womb. I feel like I'm living in clown world. It's just like wickedness. Did you see that, Coach Clay? I Uh, did. It's beyond. uh, And what... uh... Yes, every every uh, seems every country has its own little uh, niche of weirdness going on right now. But uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> no, they have no shame because these narcissists they don't they don't have any empathy or anything like that. So they don't think that way. Their conditional bias only leads them to um, uh, satisfy their own needs as a selfish person. We're seeing it right here in Canada today. There's you know boo-ha going on in the news about um, more.